welcome to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog, from Fuga A to Fuga Z. I'm your host, Ian James Wright. Joining me today to discuss Birthday Pony from the 1995 album Red Medicine is a veteran of Washington, D.C. music, best known for his bands Smart Went Crazy and Beauty Pill, and as a producer and engineer who, among various other projects, mastered Fugazi's last album. Welcome to the show, Chad Clark. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, actually mastered all of the Fugazi records, believe it or not. Really? Um, uh, yes. Uh when I did the argument, um, uh, it was uh, it was towards the end of John Loder's life. John Loder was the previous mastering engineer, um, and uh, I think that the band had never really gotten involved in the mastering process before, um, and they were pretty excited about the results and excited about the process. So they decided to remaster the entire catalog. Wow! Um, so I have. So I've mastered all of the Fugazi records. It's actually one of the, I think it's one of the things in my life that I, you know, one of the things that I will take to the grave is like, I'm the dude that mastered Fugazi. That is awesome. Um, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. I want to, I want to rewind in a yeah. second and go back, talk about uh, the beginning. Uh, but let me just ask you about that because as a, you know, uh, uh, an amateur musician, mastering is a very mysterious process to me. I don't think I'm alone in that among other musicians. Like, what exactly is mastering? So uh, keep that in mind as I ask you, like, uh, A, what was it like to master Fugazi? And B, uh, did, did it require a different approach from uh, working on other bands uh, in the same way? Was there something unique about working on their records? I mean, their records are extremely deep and extremely uh, important to me and um, very refined uh, works. And I took them very, I took that work very, very seriously. I was, I was pretty, um, I was pretty uh, devout uh, lover of that catalog. And I, um, I treated it with as much dignity and as, and I, and purpose as I could. Um, Mastering is essentially taking the final mix uh, of the band and um, uh, rendering it to the the delivery medium. Um, In this case, uh, you know, vinyl CDs and cassettes. Um, And in doing that, you adjust, uh, you can adjust, um, you know, in the simplest terms, bass and treble, um, uh, you know, the, the, how bright or how dark the record is, how heavy it is, how, um, you can adjust the sort of the tone and also the dynamics of the record. And Fugazi's dynamics were critical to what they were communicating. Um, but they were disappointed that their previous masterings, uh, hadn't sounded as full bodied as they had hoped. Um, I saw my job as the person who was trying to render the full, three-dimensional truth of those records to the listener and i'm pretty happy with the work you so know? about what time um, did you do this um work on all the uh, back catalog we started with we started with the argument and then in the next uh five or six years seven years maybe after following the argument we just kept re- going back and remastering the previous records so at um, this point, if I go back and, and buy Fugazi CDs or MP3s uh, on Discord, I'm going to hear the Chad Clark remasters? 
Yes, that's what you're hearing. If you hear it on streaming, if you hear it anywhere, pretty much you're hearing my version for sure. Okay, I think I might have to go back and um, re- you know, get new copies because I'm very interested now. Do you do you um, would you say there's one record in particular that there's a the, a most noticeable difference from the previous master? Yes, I would say it is for me. I would say the most obvious thing is "Steady Diet of Nothing." Mm-hmm. Um. Because the original is so stark and so dynamic in such a specific way, such a uh, almost like, I don't know, Japanese sort of, they were into this really austere minimalism in that period. And you can hear it in the sort of the dry, it's not as much of a, it's not as much of a um, widescreen record as, as they later came to make. Um, but they were definitely thinking sort of cinematically. And I feel like you can really hear there's more warmth and there's more intimacy in the new version than I think there was in the old. Of course, you know, I'm biased. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really, it was really important to me. It felt very, it felt very much like I am was the custodian of uh, extremely important and, uh, you know, really vital, you know, Library of Congress type of stuff. Like, right. I, I really think that I, I hold Fugazi up with the Beatles and Coltrane and um, and and Bach. I mean, it's 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 incredible music, and I really took it very seriously. I'm right there with you. Um, well, that's amazing. I'm definitely I I you know I love all of Fugazi's catalog, but you know I'll admit Steady Diet is probably my least loved album. Um, so I'm definitely going to go back and check that out, uh, have, a, have a re-listen, because I'm not sure if I've heard your version. So thanks for tipping me off to that. Yeah, um, I think it's cool. So, um, yeah, let's back up a second. Um, I'll just ask you a very open-ended question. Can you tell me just, uh, you know, a little a summary of your life in music and how that intertwined with your relationship with Fugazi as both a fan and a collaborator? Yeah, yeah. Uh... I, you know, uh, my band was on Ian's label, which is Discord, as you know, um, uh, my old band, Smart and Crazy. Um, and uh, I think that in D.C., it became known that I was really into sound. That You know, sound is my superpower or whatever. Like, I feel like um, that uh, people began to understand that, that I was very, very focused on it and and. Uh, and uh, Ian really became came to appreciate it. I have a I had a studio uh, um, in the small room outside of Inner Ear. It was the sort of like the smaller studio adjacent to Inner Ear, and it I was doing mastering. Mm-hmm. Silver and, Sonia, um, Silver Sonia, yes. And uh, I think Ian knew that I was very serious about it, and I took the work very seriously and. I think that appealed to him, um, and he wanted to give it a try. Uh, I think we did one song, one Fugazi song, um, for the for the twentieth anniversary uh, Discord compilation. I think that's what that's how it started, and I think the the band were blown away by the difference between the two masters, and I think that's what got them excited about working with me. Do you remember when you first? Um were introduced to Fugazi? Yeah, I mean, I feels like I've known them all my life. Um, <laughs> oh, you know what? I saw Fugazi at DC Space, 
which is a tiny DC club that doesn't exist anymore, hasn't existed for a very long time. And I saw them. I was not that interested in Minor Threat. Uh, you know, I I I knew the way the band was sold to me was like, oh, this is X Minor Threat. Um, I didn't really care that much about Minor Threat at the time. Um, I went to went to see them because I was curious. People were excited about the band, and they played this really late night show. Um, and the place was totally packed. It was a tiny club, but it was absolutely packed and uh the experience was like you know i mean it's a cliche but life-changing um uh they played i know they opened with margin walker that night uh yeah do you have any idea what year this would be we might I be able don't know. to know you know i'm i'm sure you can actually you can probably find it in the you know in the fugazi um uh, recordings archive. No, I actually, I've never really thought about this. I haven't really thought about this show for a long time. Um, but I remember Ian said something about the Metro. That's what I remember. There's some <laughs> comment about them. Ian said something about the Metro or the Metro closing, or I can't remember what it was. Um, but th- that's stuck in my brain. Um, and margin Walker, you know, opens with such a revolutionary guitar thing with the harmonics that open that song. Um, I mean, it, it. Other there's other guitar riffs that use harmonics, but the way Margin Walker opens is really exciting and innovative, and uh, and the and then the band just kicks in and it was just like, what the fuck is going on? So yeah, I, I remember, I I do remember being introduced to them that way, and then I just I just you know later as I became even more of a fan, I think their records generally came out in the summer. That's my rec- That's my recollection. Um, I think their records generally albums generally came out in the summertime. I think I remember um, "In on the Kill Taker" coming out in the summertime. Yes, and I would just ta- I would just take the records home and I would just pour over uh, the lyric sheets and the whole world, the graphic world of their records. I took their records very seriously, um, and it was very ins- they were very inspiring to me. I mean, they're in- they're inspiring. And the nature of Fugazi is that they're inspiring to almost anyone who gets it at all. Um, so I'm not any different than that. Um, but I really, I, I do spend a lot of time thinking about the songs and um, thinking about what is being said. Uh, you know, I, I take music very seriously and I, I, I engage with it at a pretty um, intense level, I guess. Um, Definitely. So Fugazi... Fugazi is rewarding, I feel like, for, for any kind of music listener. If you're just looking for something to make an exciting noise in your living room, you can put on a Fugazi record, and it's going to be an exciting noise. Um, if you're looking for something that is a, a really provocative lyrical experience, they'll meet you there, too. You know, um, If you're looking for... I mean, it's, there's so many levels of that you can you can receive their music and it's something that um i mean i was very very i am very very proud of them uh being a washington dc phenomenon absolutely and i think you're absolutely right that um uh, uh, how inspiring they are to to anybody who listens that sort i mean the premise of this whole podcast is there are going to be lots of people out there who are interested in uh just talking about uh the bands and their songs and, and getting deep on them and I, I can tell. Yeah, I mean, you, you, 
you picked a good band too. If you're gonna <laughs> analyze, if you're gonna analyze a, a band's song by song catalog, this is a good band to do for sure. And I would say I was going to ask you if there were any specific um, inspirations that you took from them uh, when it came to making your music. But you know, something you just said is paying lots of attention to uh, the sonic qualities and to the lyrics. I mean, that seems like something right there that in in your career you've <laughs> you've paid a lot of attention to both of those things and not not slacked off in either regard. Yeah, I mean, I feel like um, I feel like there was a standard of excellence that they that they threw out. I also really did not want to ever make music. Um, you know, I wanted to be, I, I wanted to find my own voice as a writer. Uh, I was not interested in sounding like them. I think there are some very conspicuous moments in my own music where you can tell that I'm influenced by Fugazi. I think there's some, some of those are slightly embarrassing to be honest with you, but, um, uh, but, um, you know, I, I wanted to, I really wanted to give, here's the thing. I really want to give, I want to give the listener content. I really fucking care about that. It's really important to me to, to, to that the songs are substantive. And I feel like that's, um, I mean, I, you know, I also like most deaf and I like a lot of other, I like hip hop and I like a lot of other things, uh, aside from Fugazi that have pushed me in that direction, but I'm really disdainful of vapid music but I, I feel like you couldn't you couldn't do um you couldn't do this series on a lot of bands because there's not a lot to discuss in a lot of bands catalogs there's like there's just no there there and fugazi there's always a there there and that means so much to me and uh and i want to do the same thing in my own way i every song that i release I can explain, I mean, there's sometimes, you know, Beauty Pill in particular gets into some pretty, you know, esoteric, sonic mischief, I guess. And uh, we're not, I'm never doing anything for, everything I do has a reason behind it. And I can, I can sort of defend, even though, even if I'm moving with just instinct, I, I can defend that there's substance behind every gesture. And substance behind every gesture is, to me, what uh, Fugazi stood for. I mean, even the fact that their shows were all white lights. Do you remember that? Yeah, I mean, you know, that never came to mind before. But yeah, I can't remember them ever having any kind of gels or any sort of interesting lighting whatsoever, with the notable exception of actual lightning at Four Reno. Yeah, yeah, you know, but they, yeah, they, they were against rock and roll color lighting. They were like the, op, you know, a lot of people are against smoke machines or whatever, but Fugazi were against colored lights, Yeah, that, which is a, such an amazing, which is such an amazing statement. Like we want only the, the glare of <laughs> white lights on, on an almost a surgical way. Like we're, you're going to watch some fucking surgery. Yeah. Um, well, they don't need you know, colored lights is the thing, you know, that's, that's the thing about them in general. They don't need um anything extraneous uh, because the music says it all they don't need stagecraft they don't need merchandise um their their music was just so immense exciting and, uh, yes and vital that yeah it, it would almost take away from it to dress it up i i fully agree and i think they knew that there's a confidence in that there's a like yo we don't fucking need 
colored lights you know the colored lights are in your eyes you know it's like it's uh, it's not there's no um there's no need for the, you know any sort of extra theatricality i fully agree that there's a statement of confidence there but there's also a statement of we're not going to hide we're not interested in hiding and they want everyone to feel that in the lights even people that didn't notice hey this band is playing with all white lights and i haven't seen a band do that even people that didn't notice right and uh felt it you know, people feel that kind of communication, um, even if they don't, uh, you know, take conscious observation of it. In terms of my own work, um, the, the thing that I took away is I don't want to fuck around. I don't want to, It's you know, life is short and I want to express my inner thoughts and my feelings uh, in, a, in a way that is, if not always clear, um, at least present. And yeah, that's that's I think the principal influence of Fugazi on on my own work. Yeah, I think that definitely comes through. And you know, for any listeners who aren't um, you know in the DC area, uh, I'll just I'll just say I th- I think in the DC area, everyone that's you're very well respected. People want want to work with you. They're super. They really connect with that sort of. Um, uh, principled approach to music that you come with so um I'm, by the by the way i you know i didn't mention this to you before but you actually worked on an album that i played on which is uh everyone wore white by carol Bowie. you remember that one? Oh yeah 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 absolutely I, I played bass with carol for many years and i played bass on a number of songs on that album um so that was i don't think we i don't think we ever were in the studio together um but that came out really great thanks to you oh thanks man uh, yeah i was um, really happy about that before we break in uh to talking about birthday pony by the way would you like to talk about your this sort of new developments in beauty pill yeah um we i got sick uh in about about 10 years ago i got sick um i got a virus that went into my heart um and nearly killed me and uh and I was saved by an open heart emergency open heart surgery. Basically, if you um, if you if your heart receives a bacteria or virus, it's very vulnerable to uh, like it's it, it's often very it's often swiftly fatal. Um, if you get an infection in your lung, if you get an infection in your liver, if you get an infection in your kidney. These are things that your body has uh, sort of defense systems for. But the heart, ironically, as, as essential as it is for life, does not have any defenses against um, uh, pathogens. So uh, I, I knew I was, I, I felt like I was certain I was going to die. Um, uh, but I didn't die. Um, and uh, we... Um, after that, I had this sort of like clarity about kind of near, actually after a near-death experience, it's a cliche, but you do have some clarity about for what you want to do with your life. Uh, and um, we made a record, we, uh, Beauty Pill made a record. Um, we were invited, I, I, you know, I, I, I have to say, I do enjoy um, a certain amount of I feel like DC is very kind to me, you know, just sort of what you just said. Like, I feel that DC, the the DC music uh, world and the art DC art world are very kind to me and encouraging Uh, a a museum called Artisphere 
commissioned us to record our record as a public exhibit uh, in the museum um, uh, for two weeks, meaning that we recorded um, every day uh, from from morning to night uh, in a room where there was a window looking into the room and people could watch us and listen to us as we worked. It was not, so we made a record that was not exactly a live record in the sense that there's, you know, we're not playing to an audience and it's not like one, two, three, four concert kind of thing. Um, but, uh, we, we did this record in a sort of unusual way. Uh, and I was really happy with the outcome. Um, and uh, I, uh, for t- kind of for economic reasons, based on baseline economic reasons, I felt like there was no way we could make this record work uh, financially on Discord. So we left Discord amicably. You know, it was a, a difficult thing to do. Um, and we went to a label uh, run by this guy, Alan Fermello, um, in upstate New York. Uh, and, uh, we put out the record. It's called beauty pill describes things as they are. Uh, it came out in 2015 and, um, I was really happy, you know, the, the, the responses to the record have been really, really strong, but the experience of releasing the record, um, was pretty miserable by contrast to working with Ian, who is completely, uh, interested in um and basically in doing the right thing a lot of a lot of a lot of what ian is famous for ian should be famous for um alan was uh total opposite of that and so we had an unhappy experience so we're not on that label anymore and so we have a new record which is called please advise um and it's coming out on northern spy which is a label out of uh new york that has historically put a lot of, um, like, uh, you know, out New York music, jazz and that kind of stuff. Um, so that's what's happening with beauty pill. But anyway, (laughs) um, yeah, you just, you shared with me, um, a a new single that's coming out and, and you have a new addition to the band in, um, in Aaron Nelson. Um, yes, Aaron is actually, Aaron is actually the wife of Ryan Nelson who was the drummer who was the drummer for beauty pill uh like uh the previous drummer for beauty pill so she her husband is an ex-member of beauty pill it's a very weird situation but it's really great the single pardon our dust uh so interesting it's like the lyrics are a sort of um pop culture political collage of uh, almost like a found... that's exactly right Yes, I, I noticed there there's some things you couldn't quite place. I noticed there's a quote from Miss South Carolina in there. Yes, you're exactly right. Yeah, it's uh, I'm um, it's a you know it's a song that's sort of about, in the most basic terms, it's about oblivion. Um, I don't know if you know people that are doing this, uh, but I'll give you an example. Like my brother. At some point last year, my brother told me he had stopped uh, reading the news. Yeah. Um, my brother is a very, very intelligent dude. Uh, very, uh, you know, intellectually engaged person. And he told me he had stopped reading the news. And he felt like 
because he felt like it was an oppressive, um, constant onslaught of stupidity uh, from the Trump administration. And he felt, you know, he's like, I, I don't feel like there's anything I can do to stop this, you know, the daily kind of um, indignities of being an American in 2018 or whatever. Um, and so I can't, I'm just shutting it out. And basically he would rely on his friends to text him links to important events um, instead of actually reading the news because he just felt like it was constantly, uh, he's like, basically it's just making me feel older. Um, and I think that's interesting. I think a lot of people have been increasingly shutting out the world because it's too fucking stupid and trying to find some way, some way of existing somehow apart from it. Um, and, but I think there's a, I think there's a problem with that. I think there's a, I think it's not a healthy thing to do to, to withdraw. So the song is about, um, the first line of the song is, uh, is a Prince quote and, in the it's Prince's sort of form of oblivion. Um, and then, you know, we go to the Miss South Carolina quote, um, which is a darker form of oblivion, which is ignorance, you know? Um, and, uh, so the song sort of explores the concept of oblivion, I guess. That's the, that's the, that's the more succinct way I could, I could say it. Um, um yeah, I guess the, the bastards are successfully grinding us down. Uh, at this point, yes, it, it sucks, and we need Fugazi. We need Fugazi. We do. Everybody can feel it, right? We need Fugazi. Isn't that amazing? <sighs> yeah, I've. I, that's. I think that's part of the reason I started this podcast is I felt that need, and I was like, well, if I can't have them, I need to talk about them with people. So here we are. <laughs> um, birthday pony. Um, let's uh, let's talk about it. I I want to say right off the bat, it's that that title, birthday pony, is almost certainly the most whimsical image to be found in Fugazi lyrics up to this point in their career, you know? Like, I love that. Um, probably, like, if you looked at a list of all the Fugazi song titles, it'd be Birthday Pony and Pink Frosty would be two notable outliers. Like, well, you know, what are these two? Um, and they're both really dark songs. Isn't that interesting? Like, they're both really dark. That's true. Um, that's true. They're not silly songs at all. Um, uh, yeah, I guess I... Here's my feeling about Birthday Pony. And I should just be very, very clear. Um, I mean, I have some insight into Fugazi because I, I, I do know them, but I'm going to really just speak from my own vantage as a subjective listener. So anything that I say is not, um, is not, is I'm just speaking for myself. Um, I mean, maybe that's obvious, but I want to be really clear about it. Um, from my vantage, Birthday Pony is, it's interesting to me what, what, what's happening on a lot of Ian's um, mid-90s lyrics. I feel like he really becomes more like the person that I often see when I go to his house and have tea. Um, uh, he, he's a really philosophical dude. Um, and... Uh, I feel like you can hear that on Bed for the Scraping and Birthday Pony. And, uh, you know, you can certainly hear it on Long Distance Runner, um, where he's talking about a view of his own life and um, can sort of confronting existential questions. I feel like um, Birthday Pony, 
uh, you're right. It does sound deliberately ridiculous. Um, but he's, he's basically saying, uh, I have a gift of, a. looks like he's saying he's, I have a gift of a day off. This is a birthday pony. This is a strange kind of rest because I feel like a guest when I'm, when I'm right here at home, I'm not right here at home. And that, and the way that he sings, I'm not right here at home. The second time the band slows down and they do this very soothing chord change. Uh, and he makes you feel all the, the weight of those words. I'm not right here at home. Um, and I think it's about, uh, I, I feel like it's about a, uh, a, a person being at a distance from yourself, you know, um, feeling some kind of, uh, spiritual dislocation. Uh, and that's, and that's really internal. That's, uh, that's a, a sort of a soul thing. And I feel like Ian is not as, not as known for that aspect of his writing. There's a lot of his writing that's very, um, these sort of soulful haikus that are about <laughs> life and, and they're not, um, and they're not, uh, necessarily making, I mean, he's best known for most people's image of him is the dude that is pointing out at the audience and is glaring at someone or glaring at us all, you know, and um, making a proclamation or saying something damning. But the truth is a lot of his lyrics are um, self-analytical. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this, this song and uh, I feel like this song is a little bit related to um, Bed for the Scraping um, in that I feel like he's uh, trying to just uh, do what we all do, which is like trying to feel centered within himself and feel, uh, um, some sense of, uh, of, you know, reason to exist. And, um, uh, and I think that, like, I think the line when I'm right here at home, I'm not right here at home is great because when he says, when I'm right here at home, the first time it's just like, well, I'm here. I am right at home. And then, right here at home means the second time means um comfortable or or comfortable uh, exactly exactly yeah uh i'm not comfortable here at home um and i and i think uh, and then he you know the the line that follows is i opened up these accounts all these separate accounts which is hilarious to me because that's probably actually directly autobiographical like that, that's not, I don't think that's made up. I feel like, um, I feel like that's probably him actually talking about his actual life in the mid mid nineties. Uh, you know, Fugazi were doing really well, um, right. financially. Uh, and they were doing so well that there was like this massive bidding war to, um, to try to lure them into the world of major labels and, uh, and they were, I mean, I imagine very fiscally sound at that point. I mean, they probably, they've all probably always been fiscally sound, but, um, I like that he, he uses, I open up these accounts, all these separate accounts. And then the, this is one of my favorite lines. Uh, this is one of my favorite Ian McKay lines because I can't comprehend the single ride to the end, which is just fucking genius. Um, what's your, uh, what's your take on what that means? I just think it's some, it's like the feeling that everyone has where you feel like 
your total your attention is totally fractured and you don't even know who you are and you're multiple people and they're multiple you're, you're feeling not or you're, you're feeling not um centered i guess uh and uh it's sort of add or attention you know like it's i think he's talking about a kind of a spiritual unity i know that sounds corny or cliched but i really feel like that's what this song is about um i don't know that it's referring to anything specific hmm. um other than uh a feeling of um kind of spiritual panic i feel like bed for the scraping is also a similar uh terrain um uh i mean think about the title bed for the scraping that's you know it's very uncomfortable <laughs> Yeah, this, that sounds really bad. That sounds like <laughs> someone who's really, really fucking depressed. And, but anyway, um, yeah. So that my take on this song is that it's about uh, an existential panic. I needed something to do, so and so I split into two. But now the pattern takes hold. I find I'm losing control. I mean, that's that's pretty. I feel like pretty explicitly about freaking out. This is one of these songs that I'm I'm very happy to hear your take on it because mine my immediate take was so different. I was imagining like it seems like you are taking this to be a pretty autobiographical song as you say. I was thinking of this as sort of a character song where the speaker of the lyrics is not Ian uh, but is he's projecting them onto this character he's creating to sure. do some kind of commentary. I was like, I was first of all taking Birthday Pony to be more literal. Like, I'm imagining a um, a, a businessman who is um, away from home uh, to the extent that he's estranged from his family to a large extent. Um, you know, buying a pony for the birthday uh, of his son or daughter. Right. Literally. Yes. Like, like, hey, here's a birthday pony. This this makes up for all the time I spend away from you. Right. Um, That I think is I do think that that is the image that birthday pony. I mean, I think that's part of the humor of birthday pony is it definitely speaks of privilege and uh, that exactly that kind of scenario, like uh, some affluent kid getting some amazing treat that they can't even appreciate. uh, Yeah. And I guess if you take it that way, it it does sort of track through the rest of the song for me. uh, talking about basically living two lives, both at home and away from home, and the the stress that creates. Um, right. It first of all, it reminds me of you know the the famous poem uh, "The Road Not Taken" by Robert Frost, which is you know basically about the anxiety over not being able to do two things, like to live two different lives that you want to live because you're only one yes. person. Um, and people who attempt to do that sort of thing, uh, it becomes uh, just it, it turns into an oppressive, terrible situation. Sometimes it it also it makes me think of you know those stories you hear about these sort of weirdos who at some point it's discovered they have a second family uh, entirely yeah, separate yeah, from yeah, the first totally. family. And it's like you you'd imagine, yeah. and I I think this um this is really speaks to the line at the end. I don't want to be free, which is this perverse sort of self contradictory idea. But it makes you think of like yeah for those people. You imagine, like, what happened? It's probably there's some midlife crisis. They're seeking freedom. Um, but then qu- very quickly that turned into this bizarre scenario where they have two families and they're more chained to, to more things than ever before. 
Um, so, so there are all these things going into this character that I'm imagining is the speaker of, of the lyrics here in Birthday Pony. I think that that's a valid read. I think that that's, that's an interesting... Um, uh, that's an interesting read. I feel like um, more likely... From my point of view, again, I, I'm again, I'm I'm as I don't feel, you know, I, I mastered the damn song, but <laughs> I don't feel like I don't feel like um, I'm not speaking from a position of authority. I, I, I definitely don't want to come off like that. Um, I think your read is valid, but I do think that Ian often is talking about often talking about his own perspective. Um, and uh, I don't think it's a. Uh, I can see it as I can see it reading as a character, but I do think that it's um, I just see him and his life in Arlington and and uh, just dealing with the day to day life of being Ian, which is a big job. I mean, Ian answers all all of his fucking fan mail. Yeah. I mean, can can you imagine that? Like, I am not even one tenth as famous as Ian Mackay. And I can't answer all my fan mail. I don't know. I don't understand how he, like, I can't even imagine. Can you imagine? This dude probably got 10 emails in the space that we've been talking. Yeah. Um, and he's going to answer every damn one of them. Uh, that's unbelievable. He's constantly overseeing so many aspects of the way the label runs, the way his bands run. Uh, he's, um, he's, uh, participating, he's doing all sorts of community building things, and he's responding to fan mail, and he's just keeping his shit together in this amazing way. It's really a big part of his genius. I mean, Ian booked the band. Ian yeah. booked Fugazi. If you wanted to, if you wanted Fugazi to play, you actually talked to Ian for a lot of their career. You talked to directly to Ian. He was the person who organized all that stuff. So I feel like a lo- his life must get. Um, challenging. I mean, I think he's a genius, but I think it must be hard to be in Mackay sometimes. And I feel like this song is a, a little bit about the panic of, of, um, I, you know, I think that what I think is the birthday pony is a metaphor for, I've been given a gift. I've been given a gift of some a moment of where I can just uh, relax or be myself. And I don't feel relaxed. Right. Uh, here I am. Maybe, hypothetically i just got off tour and you know i don't you know have you toured as a musician yeah just like um a a week i don't i don't know if i've ever toured more than a week and a half in my life okay when you go on a long tour you get into the rhythm of the tour and your life becomes i'm a musician on tour and when you come home all that stops like the daily rhythm of driving to great, you know, driving great distances to go play a loud rock show at night, every night uh, stops. And suddenly your life is quiet and peaceful and it can freak you out. And I feel like this is, um, I feel like birthday pony might be uh, about one of those periods where he's trying to find some peace and trying, and he still feels sort of agitated and um, he recognizes he's, fortunate to be able to have these things when he says i open up these accounts all these separate accounts that's the kind of thing you don't do unless you have some dough right um but i feel like i feel like the song sounds 
uneasy the entire time. And at the end, he's sort of freaking out. I mean, literally, he does an impression of freaking out when he says laugh boy. And then he just <laughs> goes in that crazy laugh. And can you imagine if that la- I'm going to just give him a credit as a performer right now. Can you imagine if that laugh hadn't landed the way it does? Because it's kind of a it's kind of a melodramatic move to suddenly laugh in a song in a sort of maniacal way. And he pulls it off. He pulls it off in a way that's both funny and terrifying. Big time. Um, and it like it could be I mean, think about how badly that could be done. I would <laughs> never do that. I would never fucking laugh in the middle of a song. Oh, I do not have that kind of I mean, that's amazing. Uh, quick detour there's so many ama- <laughs> I've yeah I've prepared uh, a top 10 list of songs featuring laughing all right ready no particular order <laughs> here we go all right we've got wipeout by the safaris obviously the right. classic right yes we've got uh, big yellow taxi by Joni Mitchell not a great laugh so yes. very artificial sounding but I mean it's a really bad laugh iconic to me <laughs> there's there's one yeah, I don't know sure. if you've heard this song the b52s have a song called hot pants explosion which I'm including in this list only because the laugh in that song uh, sounds to me a lot like the one in Birthday Pony, strangely enough. So listeners, look that up. Um, I have Handsome and Gretel by Babes in Toyland, an amazing uh, lesser-known song. I don't know that one. Um, uh, I, I used to uh, play a cover of that with Carol Bowie from time to time. I'll, uh, I'll send you a link if I remember to do so. We've got Father John Misty, Bored in the USA. Uh, very interesting use of actual, like, sitcom laugh track on a song feel good ink by the gorillas thriller by michael jackson brain damage by pink floyd anarchy anarchy in the uk by the sex pistols and an honorable mention a tie uh to every lil wayne song because i love the way that guy laughs (laughs) there's my little list that i prepared uh the Joni mitchell thing is actually to me an example of i mean i think she's amazing and i love that song but I always dislike that moment when when it when it goes there because I can really hear that it's not genuine, yes. uh, and that just takes me out. And it's it's enshrined forever. And it, and it's Joni Mitchell. I am not fit to be criticizing Joni Mitchell. Um, uh, but I that's an example of one where it doesn't work. Um, that's that list is interesting. I um, here's you want to hear here, this is this is a serious serious. Uh, um, side side trip go but for it i actually i was in the studio with fugazi um, <laughs> i was in the studio with fugazi we were working on the argument uh, i was involved in the recording of the argument by the way okay. um uh and we were working on the argument and i said is it a fugazi song with wipeout in it smallpox champion oh so i so smallpox champion um, the very last line is wipe out a very, and, a much darker meaning of, of that. <laughs> yes. Much, much darker. Right. <laughs> so I said, so I said to key, uh, this is, this is one of those moments where you realize like it was just a dork fan moment. Uh, I said, uh, you know, in a uh, smallpox champion, are you doing a satirical take on wipe out the surf song? Because Wipe Out the Surf Song ostensibly celebrates um, American hedonism. You know, surfing and just having fun sure. and not thinking about consequences. And uh, and Smallpox Champion is obviously a critique of that. So I thought, um, 
you know, maybe he was doing that reference on purpose. And Guy paused for like five or six seconds, staring at me blankly. And then he's like, you are a sick motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So uh, I guess that's a no. All right. I guess I wasn't. I think he was looking at me like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and it was, I mean, it was, it wasn't deeply embarrassing. I'm going to be honest. It was deeply embarrassing. It was not a good moment, but it's funny to me now when I look back on him, just look, looking at this insane fan who came up with this insane theory on his lyrics and he, he's like, has to endure it. Um, and it was, I mean, that's a classic, like, uh, the Chris Farley SNL character. He's like the, the, fan Oh yeah. Book. I mean, believe me, I had many, I had many of those moments working with Fugazi, uh, many moments, um, uh, where I exactly was the Chris Farley character. You remember that song, Smallpox Champion? <laughs> it was exact. It was exactly like that. It was exactly like that. And Guy is hilarious because he's he's really funny. Um, but he's you know like that shit that he writes really comes from a a deep place, and he's pretty serious about it. So he didn't he didn't even know how to respond. Um, and he's just like, no, I didn't think of that, and. What a fucked up thing that that would be to do, <laughs> um, and, and uh, I don't know. It was it was it made me feel closer to Guy that he would just straight up be like that rude. Yeah, because um, it was like, oh, we're getting closer now because he's well. You know, yeah. there were many ways he could have said, um, actually, no. It's like that's a very interesting idea, young man. Yeah, yeah, he could have done that. He could have done that if we weren't if we hadn't gotten close to each other, but he, I think he knew that he, he knew that I would um, receive what he said in the right spirit. Anyway, it was a funny moment. It's got nothing to do with birthday pony, but there you go. <laughs> I, I love the, uh, I love the sidetrack though. But speaking of the laughing parts, um, got to mention the, the sort of weird demo stuff in the beginning of the track before the song proper starts. Um, is, yes. is an amazing part of the song. I guess, so Ian's, it sounds like Ian's practicing almost the laughing parts that he's going to do in here or just purely goofing off in the studio. Um, as, as Here's the a, here's a thing. I, I don't know. I don't know if this is accurate. This is one of those things that really surprised me because I've always assumed that's Ian. But I was told that that is Brendan. Really? Huh. It's not Ian at all. And I was like, well, how can that possibly be? It sounds so much like Ian. It does, especially like um, the last laugh as, he, as it trails off. I'm like, that's got to be Ian. It sounds exactly. It sounds exactly like Ian. Yes. So I don't know if I'm getting it wrong now, but I was told that it's not actually Ian that's on that that we're hearing mm. in that in that opening. Um, All right. Well, I'll, anyway, um, I, I'm gonna I'll add that to my list of uh, things to ask the band if I uh, ever interview interview them on the show. I'll uh, see if I can confirm that. That's that'd be very interesting. Yeah, I yeah I I might be wrong. I might be wrong, but I think that's what I, I that's what I think. Um, anyway, that opening is so great because it's the great it's a great um, combination of being comical and um, and artistically valid. You know, not just as a, a sort of a funny excerpt, but a, actually um, like texturally the the way that they use lo-fi in that band. Uh, it, it makes the hi-fi stuff sound better. First of all, like it's yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, it all. Yeah, I, I, I mean, was it, gonna say also like um, it makes me think of 
Surfer Rosa, of course, by the Pixies. I always loved in that album in particular. There, there are several sections where Albini includes this like studio chatter, this like sort of uh, this funny nonsense, and it, it's like those become inseparable from the actual songs in my mind. It's just such a huge part of the record, and sort of same thing. Yes. In Birthday Pony. Yes, uh, and that is uh, that's a technique. It's also a technique from hip hop. You know, it's like De La Soul records. Yes. Um, uh, where you get all sorts of um, bits of uh, kind of uh, chatter and um, and or you get to hear part of the process presented in uh, a sort of lo-fi way. De La Soul is dead, and Fugazi are the two influences that led my own band, Smart and Crazy, to do something similar on our last record, which is blend hi-fi and lo-fi as part of us the same vista yeah it's it's uh, i can imagine it's very off-putting to somebody if you're just like hey listen to this track birthday pony but if you're listening to the album as a whole and you're gonna gonna sit down and listen to the whole thing it's very rewarding to me and i love that dynamic i i I agree with you i agree with you i think it's fantastic i'd like if i could uh, pivot to one one last topic sonically that i'd like to talk about is um uh, I think listening to this song, just purely from a sonic perspective, I think Brendan is the star of this song. The drums sound so good. And I just wanted to say, let's hear it for Brendan's bell. Um, that that thing, this bell that he has on his drum set, um, is plays an important part in this song. Um, and I, we haven't discussed it on the podcast so far. Um, so I just I just wanted to give props to that. Um, it's uh, it's this so it's this big like sort of dinner bell or farmer's bell um yes there's there's an interview i found from a music blog called fresh pots uh, earlier in 2019 and um brendan's talking about it he says i'm quoting here i used to use many different minimal percussion pieces like circular saw blades but they were never loud enough to play in a room without a pa as fugazi often would uh Guy Pichotto found the bell at a farmer's sale in virginia and bought it for me i love how loud it is it wakes everyone up and yeah, it's, I, I'm not a drummer. Um, and often I feel that I, I'm, uh, I'm less intelligent, less knowledgeable when it comes to listening to drum sounds. Um, especially like, you know, if you just played a track and I didn't know who the drummer was often, I probably would fail at identifying who it was, but not Brendan, especially when he uses that bell. Um, and I remember seeing Fugazi live, um, especially when you're younger sometimes you would you'd sort of get excited just seeing the stage set up for the band that was about to play um and that was the biggest part for me you know fugazi be about to play it's like the the you know ian's sg is there and and uh there's um there's joe's stingray but that that bell on that drum set i would just look at it i would be so excited just like oh it's about to happen fugazi's about to play um, yeah it's, a, it's, I love an, the bell. it's an important totem <clears throat> And I'm surprised I haven't seen other drummers steal that idea. I don't know if there are other drummers who use one. I think but... it, I think it's very much I think it's very much a signature, and I think everyone recognizes it as a signature. And in a way, it's uh, almost operates in a I mean, not to be corny about it, but in a Pavlovian sort of way. Exactly when you see it and when you hear it, you're like, I this is Fugazi. This is a th- it's I think it's a fingerprint of the band, um, and it, it's something that uh, as I said earlier. Every gesture has substance with that band. Like everything is purposeful, and um, even if it's not specific, it's not like oh, the bell represents 
you know, oppression or whatever. Like, it's not, you know, it's not like it's some kind of corny meaning that's specific. Um, but I think the bell, uh, the bell makes it feel very much like, well, it's a Fugazi show. It's a Fugazi song. And I, believe, I agree with you. It's a. I think he's he's kept using it afterwards, right? I think he uses it in the Mesthetics, for example, doesn't he? Does he? I I have I have not seen. I'll have to. I, I saw Mesthetic once. Hmm. Um, yeah, I might I might be wrong on that. Yeah, I mean it, it's uh it, you know the the drum sound on on um on uh Red Medicine in general is more three dimensional than it had ever been before. Um, and there's more of a sense of the enveloping space around him as he's playing. Um, I think they were sp- spending more time on it. I think it's a record that cost more to make and uh, and that they put a lot of attention into detail. Um, uh, and it's just, it's a fantastic drum sound. All right, so let me pivot to a segment of this show that I like to do called simply... Ratings. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? If you had to rate this song on a scale of one to five stars, purely within the context of Fugazi, like your least favorite song to your most favorite song by the band, um, could you give this song a rating? I mean, my least favorite song of Fugazi is um, is on the argument, and it's called "The Kill," and mm-hmm. I just don't like that song. But I almost I like kind of almost all Fugazi. I'm like it's like the Beatles to me. Like right. there really aren't a lot of bad Fugazi songs. They might have a different viewpoint on that, but I feel like almost all of their catalog is stellar. So it's hard, you know. Like this, my scale is pretty narrow. So I'm going to say that this would be. Um, this is like a. A four, I guess. That's exactly what I was going to say. Actually, I mean, it's to me, it's not a stone cold Fugazi classic. It's not the very top tier, um, and it's it definitely seems like a little bit of an oddball at first. But just really thinking about it in terms of my enjoyment, um, I'm a, I got to give it up. It's a it's a four for me. As I said before, um, I absolutely love how the drums sound on this. I love the sort of quiet, loud dynamic at the end. Um, the the manic, insane laughing performance by Ian. There's so many great parts of this. Um, so yeah, four for me. Big yeah, ratings. and there's and the way the guitar, the way the guitar's internet is kind of like almost frightening mm-hmm. at the end. Um, yeah, I agree. It's it's a pretty thrilling thing. I, um, yeah, I forgot I, to say there's there's that part um, after the lyric. I'm losing control. There's this descending thing that the guitars and bass do together, which I'm unable to. Um, decipher what each thing is playing, but it's this amazing dissonant sound. Yeah, and it's, I it's, love it. It's it's sour and fucked up in a good way, in a really good way. I agree with you. Um, it's 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 like actually scary at the end of the song, right? Um, which is which is why I feel like the um, I don't know. I I do think that this is a personal song, Ian speaking as Ian, but I might be wrong. If that's the last word you have on the song. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Okay. I think so. Well, then let's uh, let's talk plugs. Never mind, what's the Where can listeners reach you? Um, do you have anything coming up you want to plug? Um, your Twitter, your websites, anything. Pretty active on Twitter. 
um, which is twitter.com slash beauty pill. Uh, uh, I don't think about what I say on that. I mean, I'm not a strategic tweeter. I'm not as someone who I don't like, it's not like a, something that um, I use to advance a business interest or whatever. I often just talk about whatever's on my mind and I don't really filter myself at all. Um, so that's one way that people can find me. Um, uh, as I said, we have a, we have a record coming out on Northern spy, uh, which is called please advise. I think it's good. It doesn't sound anything like Fugazi and, but I think it's strong music and I guess that that would be it for me, I guess. Well, thanks again, Chad, for uh, taking a chunk of your day to talk to me. It's been very enlightening on a number of different levels. Um, so thanks very much. And uh, may- maybe we'll have you back if you're interested in talking about another song later on in the catalog. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a, I think this is a great idea, and I'm really glad you asked me. Thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, so as for me, you can reach me at fugazi, A2Z, at gmail.com. You can also join the Facebook group, The Alphabetical Fugazi, um, talk about uh, Birthday Pony. What do you guys think about it? What's your interpretation? Um, And I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we will be discussing blueprints. Until then, keep your eyes open. This is my last picture.